Our favorite saying at Teak is protect your peace, and we truly practice what we preach. Today, we are talking about our favorite topic, boundaries. The reality is that we cannot serve our clients properly if we are always playing defense and operating from a reactive state. Today, we are joined by Katie Fisher, owner of Origins Travel, as well as one of our favorite Teak team members. So we hired Katie largely because she believed in maintaining boundaries with her clients that allowed her to run her business like a business, which very much aligned with everything we wanted to empower advisors to do. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat and join us to talk all things travel and business. You're going to start out by each sharing a boundary that was crossed when planning travel that taught us an important lesson. So Jen, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. My boundary that I felt that people were always crossing with me was not watching my loom. And I'll get to what loom is in a second if you're not utilizing it already, but not watching my loom for wrap-up documents. And then also trying to wait until the very last minute to do a wrap-up call. Yes, I have a Calendly scheduler for a wrap-up call, but it seemed to me, particularly, I will say honeymooners. I don't want to necessarily specify millennials, but I think that a lot of people are very confident about travel until the last minute when they're not. And so it tended to be a certain demographic that would get to the very last minute and be like, oh, do you have time for a call? And they'd be leaving in 48 hours or something like that. So my favorite tool to combat that would be to utilize Loom, which is a screen share recording system. If you're familiar with it, you probably love it. But essentially, it's a non-live Zoom. So you can screen share, record yourself walking through your wrap-up documents I loved utilizing that and we'll get into a much more in-depth discussion about Loom specifically, but I loved using that because it created a very convenient way for people to digest the wrap-up document information. Loom can be used for proposals, responding to questions, wrap-up calls, pushback. It saves time because you're not having to hop on a call. You're not getting on a call where people aren't prepared for the call and it provides the ability for the clients to watch it together with the party that they're traveling with at a convenient time. And it demands less of your clients, frankly. That is why I love Loom is it's not cold. It's not impersonal in any way. I think by creating these technological ways for our clients to access information, we're actually personalizing things more so that they can enjoy their time. They're not having to work within your business hours and they can hop on grab a glass of wine, watch it with their fiance and walk through their honeymoon and create this level of anticipation as they watch this video about their itinerary and all the things they need to know before they go. So that was my boundary that I feel like people were always crossing was kind of abusing that wrap-up call time and not coming prepared and waiting until the very last minute. Robin, what was your, I would say, least favorite boundary to be crossed? My personal 
least favorite boundary uh, or a boundary that I literally enforced with every single person I always worked with was ensuring that they filled out the intake form to start the process. I was very active on Instagram. That's where all of my ideal clients typically hanged out. Hanged out is not a word, but (laughs) (laughs) where they hung out online. And that's where a lot of my like leads obviously came from. I was very good about posting and stuff like that. So it was very easy for people to just respond to my story when I was in Paris and be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Paris in three whatever months. Can you help me plan the trip? And that was just like, sheer chaos. I mean, if anyone's ever had people message their business account, they probably know it is so fast when people respond or they do something and then slowly it just is so muddled and it's gone. I had something, it saved as like a responder on my phone. I would like type a little thing and it would input like a paragraph with the link to my intake form so that people, whenever they were interested in working with me, booking any trips with me, learning more, picking my brain, quote unquote, I would always send them to the inquiry form first because that's what kept me organized. And I mean, I was just very open with people about that. Even in that first message, it's like, Hey, I don't want this to get buried. I don't want to lose any of these details. If you don't mind, here's my intake form. If you could just like fill in the details and shoot that over, it goes to my email inbox, which is the most organized version of me. And I'll be able to get back to you within like so many hours or whatever. It really just allowed me to stop missing deadlines for clients. There was so much business I lost in the beginning days when I was trying to like manage my book of business via Instagram that I really, really regret. Katie? My biggest boundary and pet peeve is when clients would call without an appointment. I had this one client that we went through so many rounds of proposals. And then after that, I put a new boundary in place of how many rounds of proposals I do. That's a different topic for a different day. but. Every time I sent her a new version, within minutes, my phone would ring. And I would literally watch it ring. And then I'd email her. Be like, I saw you called per my service agreement, per the things you agreed to to work with me. I do not answer my phone calls on the schedule. And the big reason that I did that is because if someone, especially when it comes to proposals and making edits to proposals, I didn't want to hop on a phone call where, one, I was not prepared I had no way of knowing what they were going to ask me. But also, I wanted their edits and their requests in writing for my own records and protection. And not only for my own protection, but theirs too, because I want their trip to be what they want. But if you're calling me when I'm like about to walk out the door for a dentist appointment, because I didn't know you were calling, and you tell me you want to upgrade your room to an oceanfront instead of ocean view, I'm not going to remember that. I'm going to go to my appointment and come home and totally blank on what you said. But I think the writing point of what you're saying is so important because what if they come back and they're like, you actually do upgrade their view or their room or whatever. And then they're like pissed because all of a sudden it's like X a million amount of dollars more. And they're like, I never said that. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that are just so tricky. And Jen and HR, I mean, we don't do anything over phones. It's always email, especially with client escalation issues because writing is so important. And I think that's such a good point that you just made because I don't think enough people understand that because it's easy to be like, oh, I hate phone calls. I don't want, I don't want a phone call. It's like, but also it is a layer of protection. Not just like, oh, Robin and Katie and Jen, they're so high maintenance with their no phone call policy. No, this is like sheer protection for you in the long run. And frankly, 
frankly, you should probably have a change form that actually allows them Mm -hmm. to upgrade requests so that you have a a signed form stating that they want to increase their cost XYZ amount. That's another boundary for another day. But you know, that sounds like it's making it difficult for the client. But the reality is we've got Katie, who's got a background in nursing. Robin and I, we have backgrounds in travel as well as HR, hiring, recruiting. And anyone that has a legal background, anyone in these realms, they know that if it's not written, it's not reality. So Mm -hmm. if it's not documented, it is not really happening. And so documentation is huge. And that's ultimately how our workflow was born, was the need to document these things that were happening during COVID that we had no way of capturing these really financially impactful emails that were coming through without authorization. And something I didn't realize is how legally the client is always right. Like it's very rare as you, the business owner, to win any sort of suit. Writing is the only thing that's really saved us from people who malintent, you know, maybe they're just in a weird space and they're trying to come back on us and make us pay for these like crazy expensive trips they took. The reason that didn't happen and it didn't just totally bust our commission levels was because of the writing. So I'm just saying it again. It's not high maintenance. It is legality. Well, and to echo what Jen said, with my background in healthcare, we had a saying when it came to charting. If you did not chart it, it did not happen. And that could land you in court. You could have your license stripped away. Obviously, travel is different. But that was, I was a nurse for 10 years. So it was ingrained in my being. Even when I call for something at home to like call to talk about our water bill being messed up, I document it, the date, the time, who I talked to. And I do that in travel too. You know, when we're on a call, a video call that was scheduled, I go into their travel joy file into the notes and I, I put the date and met client over Zoom to discuss these points. It also like you can go back and look exactly what did you talk about and all that. So I'm big on having phone calls scheduled for a million different reasons. I think the point that you just made about going in and time stamping notes is massive. I just love that like your nursing history carried over like that. I will be honest that that's not something I did, but like anything with a live link should be downloaded and time stamped at point of authorization because it can always change. And in a court of law, you need that finite download or that documentation. And if you have it, but the client doesn't have it, then really the ball is in your court. But I know someone that during COVID, the person took the trip, did a chargeback, and they were liable for the entire cost of the trip. And I won't mention her name. And I feel confident that she had crossed a lot of T's and dotted the I's, but I don't know exactly where the caveat came. However, I do know that we also had a Teak client who was utilizing the client workflow and provided a chargeback. She provided documentation for a chargeback with the terms and conditions, the time stamped and dated signed client agreement. And she won. Having the systems on your side too. And again, this is going, we said we weren't going to deviate on this podcast, but here we are (laughs) having that additional documentation and just making sure that everything is really black and white is going to save your tuchus. 
Have you ever had an unhappy client and then immediately checked to make sure that your terms and conditions had you covered? If not, props to you, but that's not the case for everyone. If you're like us and you want to make sure that your client can't hold you financially accountable for any loss due to last minute cancellation, because of bad weather, a missed flight, a positive COVID test, or any other situation, we know they happen, then you'll be happy to know that the legal page has your back. The legal page is an online template shop run by a real lawyer, Paige Griffiths. She took the time to work with us and get to know the ins and outs of the travel business so that she could make an incredibly robust terms and conditions template. If you're ready to get legally legit, start with the legal page. Our link to the travel industry specific agreements can be found in the show notes. Just to round out my point and touch on Robin's, when people would text or send, text or send DMs through social media about their trip as well. So it's not just the phone call. It's just reaching out to me in any unscheduled manner other than email or a phone call that's scheduled. Because again, it comes down to liability and getting messy and unorganized and potentially missing a detail. So yeah, those were two boundaries I I did not tolerate being crossed in my business. And it it saved me. So we're going to dive in deeper with Robin's example. But as Katie mentioned... Advisors do get a lot of candid messages through social media and text because there is this mindset that our jobs are fun and people are going on vacation and it is leisurely. They think that they can reach out in a leisurely way. And my least favorite word that I kept seeing pop up in my DMs was, I just want some advice or I just want a quick quote. I feel like just is the four letter word that travel advisors get a lot of the time because people don't want to take the time to either complete the inquiry form or they don't want to commit financially to a planning fee. So with that being said, Robin, talk us through the ideal scenario. If someone were to reach out on Instagram, like you mentioned, and they just wanted a few ideas for their trip, how would you handle that situation? No free advice. (laughs) That was one of my biggest things. But I think you just have to kind of be human about it and make it in a comfortable and like friendly way to just set the boundaries. So typically, again, I had it saved on my phone. So I never had to think about it. It was something I had drafted up. It was saved inside of my text messages as like one of those little keyboard shortcuts or whatever. So it would pop up for me. I'd edit some text and I'd send it off. But basically, it was just kind of like, yes, I would absolutely love to help so that I can stay organized and your you know, your request doesn't get lost. If you could please first complete my inquiry form, that will actually put you into my system and allow me to get started on sending you some figures or some numbers or some trip options or whatever they're looking for. And if they don't come back and they don't submit the form, then voila, client red flag and they're off the plate which if you want more on our client red flags, go to episode seven. It's a really, really good episode all about that. But really circumventing this part of the process, the like inquiry form and like the kicking off of the services, it's a discredit to you as an advisor. And it rarely ends well since the client is already showing you that they're not invested in the process. Like I'm not just going to text my accountant and be like, what are we thinking about taxes this year? He would literally roll over. Mr. Ellis would not be having it. I mean, (laughs) true. if you think about yourself as an actual professional service, 
not going to just text my lawyer about my divorce over a cash Instagram message. <laughs> I'm not going to, and I'm not getting divorced. So I hope no one reads into that. <laughs> <laughs> but like lawyers, tax accountants, like all these people that we are like, would you ever DM them on social media about your finances or your tax return or anything like that? Absolutely not. And if you're like, oh, but it's vacation planning. I don't care if you're spending 20 grand on a vacation. It's not just like a little vacation. It's an investment. And like, I take your investment incredibly seriously. And I don't care if you have 20 grand. I don't care if you have five grand. Whoever is paying that amount of money, that money is so important to that person. I am not going to give you anything less than my true process. Like, it's not like we're throwing around like a couple hundred dollars. You can't go anywhere for a couple hundred dollars. You have to invest a couple grand. And by doing that, and whether it's a small budget to you or not, does not matter. It's a big budget to them typically. So everybody is treated with that. It's just respect. So again, once they receive the inquiry, they can schedule a call stating that a true appointment is needed, reiterates that you are that business professional and it really sets the tone for the relationship. Again, we're not going to just be DMs like chatting back and forth about your couple grand investment. That's not how I do business. So really setting it off and kicking it off by being like, here's the form to complete. That'll give me your basic information about where you're looking to go, your investment range, all these details I need to actually get a good picture of what you're looking to do on this trip. And then starting, okay, here's what happens next. Once you complete this form, I'll reach out. We'll hop on a call. I schedule everything through Calendly because you can add some of those additional qualifying questions to Calendly, which similar questions but asking the same way. So Katie, I know that you love your Calendly. Can you tell us a little bit about how your intake call scheduler is set up? Yes. I actually feel like we could do a whole podcast on Calendly. I'm so passionate about it. We we will. That is a hands down situation because we did a mini training on it and jokes on me. We did a mini training in niche on Calendly and it ended up being 55 minutes. I was like, not so many, more of a masterclass. Yeah. It's it's such a powerful tool in creating boundaries and professionalism in your business. And uh, when I would get an inquiry form, then the next email that would go out would be like, you know, thanks so much for submitting your inquiry form. I'm excited to work with you. The next step is setting up an intake call. You can do that at this link. And then I would say in that email, along with that, here is my how we work guide. Please review this prior to scheduling a call. To further, like underscore that point, when they went to the Calendly link to select a date and time that worked for them, which side note, that saves so much back and forth time on the, I'm available Wednesday at two. Oh, I'm available Wednesday at four. Like I, I hate that stuff. And that just cuts down on that. Then when they selected their time and they went to go confirm their call, they had to jump through more hoops because I really wanted clients to be committing to my process. And so additional questions like, did you review the How We Work guide? Will all parties be on the call? Have all parties agreed on a budget? I also required that they agreed to be on video. So I know in Calendly, you can select phone call or video call. I made everyone do a video call because I think travel is personal and human and I wanted to connect face to face. And it also made me feel better because then I knew it wasn't some scammer from wherever, you know, taking me for a ride. But then in the last few months, I also added a cancellation and no no show policy that they had to agree to. 
They could reschedule their call if needed. Calendly provides a link for that. I wasn't saying you better keep this appointment because life happens. I've had to reschedule calls. More just setting the boundary of if you put this call on my calendar, you better show up because I'm carving out 30 minutes for you for free. Please respect that. I'll respect your time. I started including that as well. So they do have to answer additional questions. They're required. They cannot schedule without answering them. And that's a big thing for me, like right off the bat. I and I I made family and friends do this too. Oh, yeah. I wanted to set up the appearance of professionalism from the first contact, which eventually allowed me to scale to a clientele that took me seriously as a professional to the point where my book of business is made up of other professionals because they respected that I had a process in place. I think, you know, making sure that you're using a, a scheduler like that, taking calls in a a private, quiet setting, not like when you're in route to a kid's soccer game or something like that. Like just, it's the first contact your clients are having with you. And if you want them to respect you and your boundaries, you, you need to also respect their time. And I know that if I got on the call as the client and I'm about to put down a credit card number and, and dish out 25 grand for an Italy honeymoon, if all I can hear is like a, a traffic in the background or like kids screaming, it, it'll make me feel maybe not as willing to work with you. Well, you feel less important. Yeah. You don't feel like a priority if you're the secondary focus mm-hmm. of that moment. Like I, when I take calls, I have their notes pulled up that I've taken prior to the call. I've got their inquiry form pulled up and I'm taking notes while we're on the call. And I think this could be a whole other episode. So just add it to the growing list. But my biggest beef with the travel industry is that we are professionals who do not treat ourselves as such. And then we get angry when our clients don't treat us as professionals, but like we don't act like it. Just like Robin with her hypothetical divorce lawyer on Instagram DMs. I treat the professionals in my life with respect because they have built this career and this profession for themselves. So why wouldn't I do the same in my business? We're not saying that every travel advisor is not doing these things. Like Mm -hmm. we're saying that when there is a group of travel advisors that are not setting boundaries, and those boundaries could be what we're going to mention here, it could be fees, it could be anything. What it does to the entire industry is that it creates the assumption that everyone is operating the same way. Mm-hmm. Our goal, just in general, for teak, for niche, everything is to help everyone raise the bar for the industry so that we are consistently viewed as a professional service when someone comes in contact with any travel advisor ever. I think we've all had those situations where people have been like, well, I had a bad experience with a travel advisor, so I'm never going to work with one again. And it's like, okay, well, what'd you put into the relationship? Exactly. What'd you get out of the relationship? Was it free? Did you not give your time? Like All of those things answer a lot of questions to me. And I actually had a client who turned out to be one of my best clients in my business, who booked multiple trips with me. The first time she worked with a travel advisor, she said it was a nightmare. So I was nervous taking her on. And then she sang my praises because she was like, you're so professional and everything. Like I can tell that you treat this like a business and not a hobby. And to Jennifer's point, there's so many advisors doing things really well. But then there are the ones who do think that they don't deserve to feel like a professional. I think it comes from like an imposter syndrome. Like it's not because they don't want to do their business well or they're lazy or anything like that. It's because we think we're not worthy. That's, I mean, we could do a whole therapy session on that, I'm sure. But you're allowed to be treated like a professional. 
I have high dollar clients. And it's not because I'm a high dollar person, like with this network of high dollar friends, it's because I'm a professional. And I've had a lot of them tell me that. Like, I love working with you because it's just so seamless and easy because I'm not taking orders through Instagram or keeping, well, now I'm not keeping notes on paper, but that's a different story. And not to like flex all over the place, but Katie's like minimum spend is incredible and her fees are banging. We've covered this in our past episodes all about graduating your clients. Definitely consume those episodes because they're awesome and there's so many great nuggets in there. But I would say even one of the best ways to get higher ticket clients, which is the number one question every single person I think asks us, whether they're a teak client, whether they're a niche community member, passing Jennifer on the street, I don't know. People are always dying to know, like, how do you elevate your clients? The number one reason is to instill these boundaries, honestly, I think. And before you even talk about service fees and raising your prices and and starting to post more luxury trips on your social media, do this first, become a true professional and don't waver in that stick to your process, stick to your guns. And that is where you'll elevate yourself from the cool side hobby travel advisor who works from home and gets to take all these incredible fans to the actual like travel consultant or travel professional who is working with these higher ticket people and getting to the point like Katie did of being able to be like, no, you can't touch me unless you got 10K in your pockets and you're willing to drop a couple thousand dollars on my service fee. So boundaries, they sound great in theory. Like, oh, I want to be luxury. So I have to be super, super available, hyper available to my clients all the time. That is not luxury in the truest sense. I think that just sometimes gets muffled in the conversation too. There are people who like that in their business. And if that's something that like isn't going to drain your batteries, fine. But this is just best practices that we've seen and worked for our own businesses. So take it, leave it, do whatever you want with it. But know that if you're like, well, how do you have any business if you're turning people away? She has plenty of business and it's the right business. So I think all these boundaries are super, super important when you do get to that phase where you're like, I want to go from fly and flops to these minimum 10k trips on the regular. Well, and I know I started by talking about Calendly. Got a little off track, but like boundaries say to your client, I am worthy of having peace. And I think there's also we could get into the psychology of worthiness. You have to just like you kind of got to fake it till you make it, too. At when I first started raising my minimums, I I was like, "Oh my god, should I be raised?" Like, but you start with Calendly, And then you move on to things like raising your fees and minimums. But you just have to know that you're worthy of having like boundaries in your life. It's okay. You're allowed to say no to things and you're allowed to have rules around your peace. So you have my full support. (laughs) I'm a big advocate. I got goosebumps when you were talking about that imposter syndrome, because I do think a lot of lack of boundaries come from that feeling of I need to get the client, I need to get the client, which comes from a subconscious self-doubt and Robin calls it head trash. When you break your boundaries, you're doubting that that person is still going to find you credible or attractive if you were to implement those boundaries. And I just think of the person that's a high-level CEO, if that's your audience, not that's not everyone's audience, obviously, but if you're looking for that high-level exec that's busy, that wants this fabulous, very expensive vacation, 
Do you think he expects you to just pick up the phone on a whim? No, he's working with other professionals that also expect to schedule something. And frankly, out of respect for them, they need something scheduled. So by creating a mutually beneficial time that both of you can have undivided attention dedicated to knocking this out in an efficient way rather than the back and forth, it's much more advantageous for all parties. But for the person that's wondering like, okay, I am new in the business and maybe I don't feel worthy yet. I'm just going to let you know that my business was started as a part-time job to an HR role. And then I completely revamped my life and was working for my dad's family business. And I'm rocking in a heating and air conditioning polo shirt while doing wrap-up calls in my car in the parking lot of a bowling alley because I knew to step outside during the time that I'd allocated on my Calendly. And my clients were none the wiser. I was having this entire life that people had no idea that I was having, but I created this sense of professionalism and an, a total insinuation that this was my full-time gig at the time because I was creating those boundaries that allowed me to step into that role and step away from my other life goings on. Um, but that right there, if you have a full-time job, if you're looking to transition your career from something else, as so many are when they start out in the business, because the pay doesn't come fast in this gig. Like that's the reality. You have to build a book of business. The fees can come fast, but the commissions don't. So creating a Calendly does allow you to build your business and create the impression that it is a professional business even far before it actually is in your world. I also want to say that I love Calendly for all calls. I have a general Calendly link that requires clients to submit questions. Katie alluded to this as well. And I can gather information before a call so I'm more well-prepared. I also use it for wrap-up calls. I mentioned that earlier. And again, we were we are going to dive into that in a minute as well. But Katie, since your example has to do with clients calling randomly, tell us how you implemented the scheduler and how you've edited each type of call, as well as if you ever get pushback when you have someone kind of buck the process of wanting to schedule a call through Calendly. I used to just have Calendly for like the intake calls. And then I started to realize there were many other points of contact where people would want to schedule a call where like set up for my intake call didn't make sense. So I had, I think, nine <laughs> total calendars in my Calendly account. They were all labeled differently with different questions attached and different workflows. So like a whole day on it one time, but like I geek out over that stuff. So I had fun. I had industry related calendars. So when I would want to meet with a new vendor or supplier, I would say, you know, send over my email. Hi, I'm Katie, blah, blah, blah. Here's a link to hop on a call. So I had that one. And I had one for fellow advisors who might want to like just talk shop or whatever, because I even made them schedule stuff. But then I would have my obviously I'd have my intake call for new clients. But then I had proposal reviews. And that came about after the the one client who called me every single time I sent her a proposal. So I started including that in my proposal email. If your feedback is just too much to include it in email, or you think it might be more efficient to talk, then hop on a call, schedule it here. That actually came in really handy. And I noticed a lot of people used it. And that was okay, because they were scheduling it, especially for like bigger, more custom trips, which is what I normally do. 
if they wanted to talk about the logistics, it was sometimes easier to hop on a call instead of an email. And then I had my pre-departure calls. I used Loom, but before I started using Loom, almost everybody would schedule a pre-departure call because they were just getting documents from me with no other context. And then they'd want to hop on a call. Once I started including a loom with my final documents, that calendar, the pre-departure calendar, rarely got used. That's bliss to me. And then I would have feedback calls for post-travel follow-up, which was optional, but I included it in my welcome home email. Like if you just had the best time ever and you want to shout about it, I want to shout about it too. So let's hop on a call or, and thankfully no one ever used it for this, I would say, if you did not have a good time and you'd like to discuss things that could have been better, please use this call. I never had anyone use it, but I think providing your clients an opportunity to get a hold of you within your boundaries is it empowers them as well because they they don't feel panicky that they can't get a hold of you. And then I also just had a generic check-in call as well that's in my email signature, but that would also have questions attached to it. So why do you want this check-in call? Could this be discussed via email? Because I wanted to make it, again, feel like I was available to my clients, but within my rules of being Forcing available. them to self-reflect. Should this be an email? <laughs> yeah. Do you, need to, do you need this 30-minute call or can we resolve this in our inbox? This is one of my favorite topics, I think, because we have people comment on stuff all the time now. And they're like, I need phone calls too. I thought I was alone. You're not alone. I don't love phone calls. I've told Jen from the start, I didn't like phone calls. In fact, I wasn't even checking in with my clients in the beginning because I didn't want to bother them or have them start worrying about texting me back, right? So the automation in Travel Joy allowed me to actually like automate and create that like arrival day touch point and it's inside of EEW now, but it offloaded the need to like send a text or, you know, remind myself to send an email, the touch point coming as an email reminded them that like, Hey, yo, I'm here for yo dog. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I'm here for assistance. <laughs> but the touch point as an email, like kind of reinforced to them, like, Hey, I'm here. I'm following your trip. But like my text in the calls, those are really reserved for emergencies only. One text really can turn into a waterfall. I don't know if you've ever had that. We all have chatty Cathy's who it's just a simple check-in, Kathy. It's on my task list. But Kathy doesn't know that. And then it is just woo, a whole thing. And my family knows I don't even text. If you want to call me as a family member who shares my DNA, you may call me anytime and I will always answer. Anyone else, I will look, I will mentally marinate on it, and I probably will call you back later. I think the me not texting clients is what kind of shocked some people. Jen hated it at first. I do know that. (laughs) No, I did. I did totally hate it at first. And then this is what happened to me. I got a text from a client who started like comparing hotels of what they declined in the initial proposal saying like, I should have gone with the first option. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I put it in there for you. And they started going back and forth to the point where we were then... They were on their way to the train. I think they were actually on the train, if I'm being honest. And they had downgraded from first class to just a standard economy seat, which that means they're not going to get the luggage rack in Europe and they're not going to get a snack or whatever. They're just not even getting a seat assignment kind of thing. And they're messaging me, asking me if they're going to get food on the train and if they should get food at the train station before getting on the train. And I'm like, it's 3 a.m., you jokers. Like, I 
simply cannot. That's, I feel like I should have a hat that says I simply cannot because that's how I feel about all of that noise. If you're listening to this and you think we are horrid for not texting our clients and you're thinking, that's not how I do business. I create a personal relationship with my clients. I want them to know that I'm here for them. I would ask you genuinely if you have balance in your day and if you are getting that gut-wrenching feeling anytime your phone buzzes. You should not fear the phone to an extent where anytime you see it and it's a personal relationship, you're like, oh, thank God, it's not a client. I know we all feel like that, or maybe I'm speaking for a lot of people in that situation, but it's very easy to feel like that. But you can gain some control back by not providing your phone number, not directing people to text you or creating that waterfall effect that Robin mentioned by opening the floodgates with the texting. It's like take control back of your phone, I guess, is the message there. When we say this, we tend to be greeted with a lot of pushback from advisors that have been in the industry for a long time and their company culture has been one of being available at all times for clients. And I will say that depending on your clientele, being available or even reaching out to them consistently can become more of an annoyance than it can be a convenience. And Robin, I know you feel very passionately about this because you did not want to be texted by me on your honeymoon <laughs> and you were my client. So tell us a little bit about like your thought process on texting or just creating the requirement to respond to an advisor while in travel. Yeah. So when I'm on vacation, email is off my phone. Like I am on full vacation Robin mode and I don't take a lot of vacation. I mean, we just we have to schedule it in now and again. But when I'm there, it's like the sacred space. So it makes my skin crawl when I'm like having to respond to people when I'm on vacation. Like I wish I could set an out of office on my like text messaging where it's like, hi, Robin is unavailable right now. She will be back in 10 to 12 business days or whatever. Even when people like family members are reaching out to Hunter and I on vacation, I'm like, how dare you intercept my like realm of relaxation I've always felt like this. I've never, I've never liked it. It always felt like very weird. And it was about me. It wasn't about the person. Like when I'm as an advisor reaching out to them, it wasn't about them because when they're upset, they'll let you know, like they will get in touch with you, whether it is via email, phone call, smoke signal, whatever they got to do to let you know that you messed up, they're going to tell you. But on vacation, I just, it really upset me as a traveler. So then when I did it as an advisor, I was like, Ooh, it doesn't feel right. We mean this in the kindest way. But your validation should not come from the price of interrupting a client's trip is what it boils down to. We will, I believe personally, and I think we as a whole believe that no news is good news. If a client needs you, they will absolutely let you know. And if they do need you, again, that is reinforced in my trip wrap-up documents inside of that wrap-up departure email. I hint about it and talk through it on my intake call when we're getting into the nuts and potatoes of what it's going to look like over the next couple of months of working together. All of these boundaries, they don't have to feel so weird because you can tease them along the way where all of a sudden it's not like, oh, well, now you're just feeding me to the wolves. No, you knew about this, honey, when we had our phone call months ago. So it's it doesn't feel as strange. Katie, how do you handle in client communications? 
or in communication. <laughs> I, I, I got what you're saying. In travel communication, I set expectations along the way. Right in their booking confirmation email, like after we've deposited, it lays out, I have a section that says, now that you're booked, here's what you can expect. And it like lays out the timeline, like 120 days from departure, you'll get this form, 45 days from departure, final payment around that time, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll say three weeks before departure, you'll get your documents along with your emergency contact information. And as the ladder of escalation. So like along the way, they know like what's coming and all that. But then in the final travel documents, I use Travify. At the very top, I have my whole spiel. And then that whole spiel is repeated in their pre-departure email. I love redundancy because people don't read. So if you put it in two places, they might read it once. But I have an entire section that says, here's your in-travel emergency contacts. And it lists them in priority order and for what reason they should contact them. And then I'm last. And it says my name, emergency only, text only, and then my phone number. Unless you are drowning in the Pacific Ocean, don't call me because I've had, I had a lot of clientele go to Hawaii. I'm in Michigan. There's a six-hour time difference. I know it's 4 p.m. there and you're about to board your sunset sail, but I've been on my third REM cycle for hours. <laughs> so I need you to cool it. And don't call me because you can't find the departure point that I've already clearly mapped out for you. So I make it very, very clear. And then when I do my Loom wrap-up call, I pull that up on my screen and I highlight it and I go over it. And not everyone respects it. Like you can put as many boundaries in the place as you want. You're always going to have that one rogue client. Having the boundaries in the first place allows me to be like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, remember what I said. Like this is not an emergency. Please utilize your other sources. I also have a bolded and highlighted line in my email signature and autoresponder about not using text or social media to contact me at any point before your trip or during it and to utilize their emergency contact information. And then I have my automated emails and travel joy. So 24 hours before departure, you know, I hope you have a great trip, blah, blah, blah. Once they check in, I hope it went well. No news is good news. Otherwise, I do not reach out or interact with them in any way because I'm very similar to Robin. I am very much an introvert. My vacation time is sacred. And I really only interact if they tag me on social media. It's like, oh my gosh, thanks for sharing, whatever. And I love that like us three happily married people keep coming back to this divorce lawyer example. But it's the same thing as if you were like to have your divorce lawyer text you and be like, how's the divorce going? How's single life? Your clients are not your friends and they used you for a service. They got what they paid for and they don't need to hear from you. You know, it it comes back to needing that validation that they're having a good time. If they're not having a good time, they'll let you know. Let that referral be your validation. Okay. Let that repeat fee be your validation. Let all of those things that are ROI producing, let those be your validation. Like we do get a serotonin bump. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like you got a serotonin hit from a like or someone saying you did a great job, but like you can hop on a post-travel call if they want to do that. And if they want to tag you, cool. But for the most part, I say, let the money do the talking. And that sounds super impersonal, but it's a business. Also, some of my best clients don't fill out their welcome home feedback form. Mm -mm. They don't leave me reviews. They don't tag me. And at first I was like, they all hate me. But then they send me all of their friends and family. So I'm like, I don't care that you didn't leave me a five-star Google review. You sent me everyone you know, and now my business is booming. Stop looking for validation because like Robin said, it'll open up a can of worms. If you text them and be like, how's everything going? 
then it's not going to stop. It's easy to keep up with when you have a couple of clients here and there and you're like, oh, I'll just keep doing it. But when you scale that business and you have 50 plus people traveling at a time, the texting thing a little bit goes out the window. You got to be that professional boundary and then the professional standard. You really, that's the quickest way to position yourself as a valuable, trusted professional. I think the ultimate question that you should ask yourself at any juncture of your process is, is this creating ease? And if the answer is no, if you're putting a responsibility on your client, ultimately you're not creating ease and your busiest clients are not going to create that. They're not going to fill out the survey when they get home. That's just reality. Like that busy CEO we were talking about before, he's not going to complete the form, but he's going to come back if you made his life easier. I assure you of that. If you are creating ease, then you're doing your job really well because that's the service that they're paying for. They're not paying for a friend. They're going on vacation with their friends. I will say to piggyback off of what Katie mentioned with wrap-up documents, since this is my favorite piece of the puzzle, I guess because I know they're on their way and there's this sense of anticipation that's happening, I create the aesthetically pleasing online itinerary, which there's plenty to evaluate in that as well. I compile the documents and files into that itinerary. So it's all in one tidy place. If someone is not technology friendly, they can download that Travify as a PDF. So there's still the option to do that. Like Katie mentioned, I do copy and paste everything, my housekeeping notes, my destination tips, the emergency contact. I copy and paste and put that in the live Travify. And The reason I do that, I do want them to have a PDF version, but if anything changes in their itinerary, I want to be able to edit that. And I want to be able to go in and add notes if I get an updated phone number for their tour three days from now. If I've printed that, I'm not going to be able to do it. When you're creating your Loom video for your client at that wrap-up, I would explain that and say, this is the reason why your itinerary is a live link. It allows me to go in and edit anytime anything changes in your itinerary without intruding on your personal space and texting you during your vacation. It will automatically be reflected. Every time you connect to Wi-Fi, it will automatically update for you. So when you do that Loom walkthrough, which is my favorite piece of the process, as I mentioned, You're going to first talk about how this piece of technology works for them. Download the app. Here's where you find this. Scroll to the bottom and you can find this. Here are your attachments. You can pull them up and print them and put them in a folder before you go. Now, as we are going to dive into the itinerary, I'm going to go day by day and I'm going to explain a few things that are really important for you to know. And that's where you can, especially if you're very intimately aware of the destination, you can be like, when you get off the train here, you're going to take a left. You're going to go past the McDonald's and the taxi stand is on your right, or your transfer will be waiting for you in the parking lot, whatever that may be. You can really showcase your value here without going into a long email that they're never going to read. I assure you, no one's going to read about going past the McDonald's. They don't care. They want to download their documents, print them and go. So getting them on that video is really a sense of immersing them in that experience before they get there and have the fun of vacation is the anticipation of vacation and allowing them to watch that in a video when it's convenient for them is just, I think, empowering them in an even higher level at an even higher level. But then once you get past the fun stuff and you're talking about the logistics and what to do and 
how their transfer information is going to be delivered to them at their hotel and their train tickets are going to be with that transfer information, like assuring them of all of that information. You're also going to say, okay, now worst case scenario, let's talk through where to find your insurance information. And let's talk through your emergency contacts. And again, as Katie mentioned, like your name is last. That's why you work with a DMC or a wholesaler is so that you are leveraging their in-destination support. I think more so a DMC because they're in the time zone. They're in the trenches. They're actually managing that itinerary. And that's their entire point. I know a lot of advisors at a certain level want to white label it. I say lean into the fact that you have an in-destination partner because it sounds so VIP to me. But the last thing that I do is I add a what to do when guide. And I actually, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. I got this idea from another advisor, Heather Christopher, if you're listening, you just sparked this idea because we were talking through our process one day. And that's something that Heather had always mentioned is she attaches a what to do when guide. So I created my what to do when guide. When your flight is delayed, do X, Y, Z. And that actually is in our EEW bundle, our elevated experience workflow bundle. It comes with a what to do when guide that you can automatically attach to that wrap up email. But it's so important to walk them through, hey, this document is attached. Please print this out. And this is going to be the most important document that you have on the top of your folder because it gives them a roadmap and it creates ease instead of panic. And again, our entire job, I don't need to feel validated that I fixed a problem for someone. I want to feel validated knowing that I created a solution before there was a problem. And that's what that guide really does for your business. I have some questions for you, Katie. How do you handle it when a client doesn't watch your video? I know you do the looms. And what are your thoughts when people say they don't want the client to know? For an advisor that doesn't want the client to know they're working with a DMC, what are your thoughts on that too? For the loom, that's what I love most about loom is you can pull up the data and see if they've watched it and how much of it they watched. I don't know if a lot of people know that. There, you can like see a percentage, like they watch 17% of it. 17% is not good. I want you to watch 100% of it. I, if a client reaches out to schedule a pre-travel call and they do check the box that says yes, because in my pre-travel call, one of my required Calendly questions is, have you watched the recorded loom? And if they check yes, I check to see if they're lying. And not because I don't trust <laughs> people, but that's probably something I need to work on. I, it's because the only option is for them to check yes. I don't have an option for them to check no, because if they check no, you shouldn't be scheduling this call. I have had people say, yes, I've watched it. I pull up the data. They have not. So then I will email them back and say, hey, you know, you noted that you watched the video, but I can see that you haven't. I just call them out nicely. You can always ask, was there a technology issue that you ran into? Because like putting the ball in their court is like, I'm not going to call you out directly. I'm just going to see how I can help you. Like always frame it like you're benefiting them somehow. Right. I will word it similar to that. Like I can see that it doesn't appear that this has been viewed. Let me know if you had issues and I'll resend you the link. So I don't give them an opportunity to work around because it's it's a non-negotiable for me. If I take the time to record it, you can watch it back on two times speed and you can watch it in half the time. And I do take a lot of care to go through the details of their itinerary and point out things that I anticipate they may have questions on. So I actually don't let people schedule calls if they have not watched it. I will actually cancel the call. Like if they respond back and say, oh no, we didn't watch it yet. I'll say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and cancel this. 
go ahead and watch that and then you can reschedule. I, I make it difficult for people to work around my boundaries because I've spent a lot of time putting them in place. And chances are high that they're going to get on a call and ask me all of the questions I covered in that loom. And also if they, if they don't watch the loom, but they also don't schedule a call, I don't sweat it. I figure they'll watch it if they need to. And then if they contact me with a question that I know was covered in the loom, I redirect that. I send them back to it. Like, hey, actually, I answered this in that video. Let me know if it's not clarified and I'm happy to jump on a call. But like people are adults and they can take responsibility for themselves and utilize the resources I've taken time to provide to them. As far as advisors who don't want their clients to know they're working with like a DMC, I find it a little odd. Because to me, it's a benefit. I have spent all these years and hours and money and time like building these relationships. And my clients always find it, I think, more professional when you word it in a certain way. Like, oh, my network of vendors, my contact in Italy. It makes you sound far more professional and quite frankly, kind of cool when you say that you have contacts all over the world because they don't. They have Expedia. So I leverage it like that. I explain to them on the intake call, here's who I think I'm going to work with on your itinerary because of your needs. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think advisors get all caught up in, well, they're paying me, so I should be doing all the work. No, they're paying you for your time and your expertise and your connections. So leverage those. I think it just shows that like we have a professional network that we can use. And I'm not just out here like, willy-nilly booking whatever I find. And it gives them a sense of confidence and peace that their trip is being overseen by not just me, but like a whole team. I'm going to shout out one of my favorite DMCs, Tempo VIP. When I book Portugal itineraries, I tell my clients in my proposal loom, I'm like, listen, you hired me, but you get the benefit of this awesome team of like really passionate Portuguese People, they love their country. They love what they do. And they're going to make sure you're taken care of while I'm at home sleeping or at a family event or whatever. So you don't have to worry about if I'm available because they will be. So leveraging it like that, I have found to be very beneficial. I've never had a client be like, that's weird. We're getting a little Joe Rogan with this and it's getting kind of long. So we're going to wrap this up. But before we do, I feel like it's really important to talk about autoresponders. Can you tell us where, when, and how you use these like automated responses? Where I use them in my Gmail and on TravelJoy. TravelJoy, I think in the last year, added the autoresponder function. And I, the caveat to that is my autoresponder is always on. It's not just when I'm out of office. It's always on. My autoresponder is the same for Gmail and TravelJoy, but I slightly tweak the TravelJoy wording because that's for people who are already in my system in you know, inside my CRM. So we've already like built that client advisor relationship. But certain points that I have in there is, thanks for contacting me. You can expect a response in two to three business days. So I set the expectation right off the bat. I don't live in my email. I check my email twice a day. I can't be in it all the time or else I'll never get anything done. I also have it bolded and highlighted that I do not check emails on weekends or after business hours. Jen, you made a comment about how without boundaries, like every time your phone lights up, you get this jolt of adrenaline. And I was living in constant fear of my phone beeping because I had my emails pushing to my home screen. And so I'd be enjoying like dinner with my husband watching a Netflix show. And then I'd see that I get this urgent, well, I'm putting air quotes around it, urgent email. And it would just throw my whole evening off. So I turned that off. So now I have to like go into my email manually. Then I set the expectation for my clients if they're receiving this autoresponder. 
might also include relevant updates like, you know, I'm now booking into whatever or I'm going to be out of town and completely unavailable, something like that. So I have room for like a, a specific update. And then I have sections that are like for current clients and like the common questions they might be emailing me about because sometimes that autoresponder will just answer it. And this was really important during COVID. I would get people emailing me panicked updates. Did you see what the CDC just said? Did you see that this country just established new? And I'm like, I saw it and I will be in touch. You're not traveling for 10 more months. It's Let's take a collective breath and I will talk to you during business hours. So I started establishing that in my autoresponder and then just general reminders. So I don't work through text. I work in order of urgency of travel dates, things like that. I also, along with that, have an email signature that just kind of remains static all the time. I, ha- I included a note in there about reminding clients that like my emails, when I do email you, it's time sensitive because I don't email just for giggles. Like I'm not just emailing you to say hi. If I'm emailing you, it's usually something important. So to like respond accordingly, a link to schedule that generic check-in call, any COVID updates that were relevant at the time, I would keep that updated. And then the reminder that quotes or proposals are subject to change until deposit, I put that everywhere, just all over, not just when I send proposals. I have it, it might as well be my tagline on my business card. And then I would just update my autoresponder if I was traveling to say at the very top bolded, please note that I am out of town or out of country or whatever. I will say this, I don't want to leave anyone hanging because there are probably 50 other boundaries. And and Katie was talking before we even started recording. She's like, every time I do my process, I find another boundary that I can implement. And they might be very small tweaks. It might be an additional checkbox. It might be a sentence in a document or an email. For me, I think one of the most recent light bulb moments was adding on the inquiry form. Please check if you understand there will be a service fee affiliated with planning an itinerary with us or a more eloquent and fluffy way of putting that, but having that on the initial touch point, because then the people that are submitting your inquiry, they know they're investing in a service and it's not coming to them for free. So there are a million other ideas that we can definitely go with and implement and directions we can take, but we won't for this. We have a boundaries course coming out. It has so many templates. It's going to be super beefy. So please keep your eyes out for that. If you want more on boundaries, we highly recommend listening to episode three on going out of office. It touches on what Katie just mentioned, not just the autoresponder when you're in office, which I agree with keeping on at all times, but also discussing having an autoresponder when you're out of office and things you can do leading up to going out of office that allow you to truly enjoy your time away. Katie, it was amazing to have you back today. Thank you for helping us spread the word on how to simultaneously create boundaries and elevate your business's credibility and professionalism. Our goal for today's podcast was that you walked away with something that empowered you to surgery that allows you to feel more in control of your process. If you're already doing most of these, then we are virtually high-fiving you. However, if you aren't and you implement one simple thing that we mentioned, we feel confident that it will open the door to creating more structure and possibly continue to implement more into your business. We're sending you a long-distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teak Talk. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community, where we host live events, answer your questions, 
share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.